back because the market is closed. Good Thursday afternoon, everyone. Tyler Harris here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Well, first off today, wanted to talk a little bit about an experience that I had last night. So most of you know, I live here in Austin, Texas. I've been born and raised seventh generation Texan, but live here in Austin now. I've been here for some time. Uh, and I mean, I absolutely do love this city. No doubt about it for all of its flaws. Yeah, I mean, really anywhere in Texas, you can't go wrong. But last night, I had the opportunity to go see Jordan B. Peterson speak here in Austin at the ACL Live, I believe it's the Moody Theater. And uh, wow, just what a show. It was, the, it was his first two shows. He performed also on Tuesday night uh, at the Moody Theater as well. Uh, but the beginning of his Beyond Order tour. Uh, so really cool to catch the very beginning of that. And especially here in Austin, where, you know, you might think that some speakers like that would get a lot of love, but after you've seen what this man has been through, and if you are familiar with his work, I highly encourage you to go look it up. Uh, he has a podcast of his own, has been on Joe Rogan's podcast, and all of his books out there. He's a psychologist by training and, and a doctor, and a doctor of psychology, I guess, and just a phenomenal, phenomenal speaker. I mean, the stuff that he went through last night, I mean, I got chills just thinking about it, really. I mean, it was an absolute blast to go to, but going to it, I really wasn't sure about what the, the crowd was going to look like. You know, you hear some stories of, of him speaking at college campuses and getting major protests there, so you never know if the students at UT were going to plan something like that for this as well. Let me just tell you, nothing of that nature was around at all. We pulled up to the event, saw the line to get in, going around the block. So, okay, we walk around the block to go see. As we get to the end of that, it goes around the block again. We almost circled all the way back to the beginning of people waiting in line to go see him speak. And that wasn't just it. While we're waiting in line, talked to a ton of people while we were there, and just the friendliest people that you've ever met. Conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, did not matter. Nobody talked about any of that at all. Namely because we were excited to see him speak. But man, you know, in the divisive nature of our country today, uh, and especially in a city like Austin where, you know, you have a Democrat leaning, allegedly, uh, more liberal crowd in a Republican state. You know, I mean, like I said, none of that was talked about at all. Everybody was so friendly, was so over coronavirus, um, you know, no masks, no social distancing, nothing like that. But it's been like that here in Texas for a while now. And uh, you expect that at a Jordan Peterson event. But, you know, like I said, you never know where the other side of that crowd might be if they're coming to heckle or something like that. Um, so, wow. I mean, just absolute packed crowd. He sold out the place both nights. And I mean, there's so many things that I could talk about what he has said, but for a guy who has been branded as such a right-wing extremist, uh, I mean, in reality, objectively, probably is closer to middle left in, in reality, but he's a huge fan of capitalism and talking about the issues that people have with capitalism and, and re exposing the fact that 
even if you took capitalism out of the equation, those problems are still going to exist. Um, you know, so I don't know how much, how many of you follow his work. I imagine a lot of our audience probably does. Uh, but man, just it was refreshing uh, and so much fun. Went with my brother here uh, and a friend of ours as well. And so if he, if you have a chance to see him on your tour or on his tour in your city or nearby you, I highly, highly recommend it. I mean. He got about six standing ovations throughout the show, just talking about things that resonate with everybody. Like I said, doesn't matter left, right, Democrat, Republican, just, you know, truths that we can look at through life that, I mean, I would say that we've been divided so much into left and right when in reality, 97% of us fall somewhere in the middle of those. And maybe we lean this way on this issue and maybe we lean that way on that issue but we can agree on so much more than we disagree on. And that's really, I think, what so much of, of last night was about. So just a phenomenal experience. I, I highly encourage everyone there. And it is so funny to see it in, you know, this supposedly liberal city like Austin. Uh, you know, everyone says Austin's just full of hippies. And maybe, you know, I'm sure that was the case years ago. But those hippies are not what they used to be. They've been replaced by a new class of people, uh, especially with the way that Austin's been growing. I mean, almost nobody is from here originally. Uh, most people aren't even from Texas. So these hippies have been replaced with this yuppie capitalist crowd. They're capitalists and they don't even know it. Think about all the headquarters that have been coming to Austin. You've got Tesla in, in Texas now as well. Oracle just moved its headquarters here. Facebook just bought up half of what's going to be the tallest building in Austin, which is expected to be completed later this year. So these people who claim to be, you know, left wing, almost teetering on the ideas of socialism, and they're here working for mega tech companies, making a great paycheck. These people are not hippies. They're not fighting the system. They are yuppies disguising themselves in this way uh, and, and really hiding behind their idea of what it means to be a social justice warrior but you know it is what it is like i said i love the city i think most people have opened opened up now and said all right you know at least among the people that i've met here in the city i don't really know anybody who would fall into the crowd of you know this this capitalist yuppie crowd that i'm talking about uh so this is really a hotbed for capitalism. I'm so glad to be a part of it. But Dr. Peterson also talked about what a shame it's been to see what's happened to his home country of Canada. And I think that there's a lot of great warnings in there, um, you know, to make sure that we don't see those things happen here. I mean, really in the U.S. without Ron DeSantis, because Greg Abbott here in Texas did nothing, without Ron DeSantis, who knows where we would be? I mean, that is almost one man in between all of it. Like Trump used to say, they're not trying to get to me. They're trying to get to you. I'm just standing in their way. Um, and that has been Ron DeSantis throughout all of this. But I mean, look at Canada. I mean, a great country full of great, kind people. Unfortunately, with kindness comes some weakness. And that is exactly what we've seen from that country. Um, and, and he talked about that a lot as well. But 
He also talked about the truckers going in this weekend into Ottawa to go stand against these tyrannical mandates from the fascist Justice Trudeau, Justin Trudeau going to going to Parliament in Ottawa. And I mean, he had nothing but great things to say about that. And it is hopeful for the future. I mean, very much an optimist, but also a realist. Um, but so check this out. We wrote about this to our members this morning. This weekend, the largest convoy in history, 50,000 trucks and truckers with more than 1.4 million people are headed to Ottawa to protest these mandates. Uh, and you probably saw this video of Trudeau. I mean, just the audacity of this guy uh, to say, and this is a quote, this is a small fringe minority of people on their way to Ottawa who hold unacceptable views which they are expressing. Well, 1.4 million people does not sound like a small minority, not to mention the people who support them and couldn't be there. I mean, talk about out of touch. This guy's been spending too much time with his globalist buddies trying to figure out how to manipulate people, calling them a fringe minority, this many people, and people in the U.S. who support them as well. I mean, there's a number of U.S. truckers going up there to support them. Uh, so that's just not a winning strategy for Justin Trudeau. And of course, today, what happens? He tests positive for coronavirus. And now will be holed up who knows where, really just avoiding everybody who's going to be there this weekend. He is in hiding. That is where he is. He's not holed up, uh, in my view, you know, because of coronavirus, he is in hiding. This man is starting to feel the pain of what the, of we the people and Canadians, they the Canadians, um, are living through. And so to all of our Canadian friends and our listeners out there, uh, you know, we've gotten so many incredible emails from you. Uh, so thank you. Please keep us updated on what's happening there. You know, we're from thousands of miles away, it's tough to see exactly what's happening on the ground, especially when you can't trust the media. That was another big topic last night. And actually, listen to this story. This is really interesting. There is one person alive who helped write the Canadian Bill of Rights, much like our U.S. Bill of Rights. That man is now in working on a lawsuit against the government of his own country for violating the Bill of Rights. I mean, who else would know it better than the guy who wrote the freaking thing, right? Uh, and so he didn't even feel comfortable going to any media outlet to talk about this lawsuit. So he reached out to Jordan Peterson and said, can I do an interview on your YouTube channel? And Jordan asked him, why, you know, why me? Like, why do you want to do it here? And he said exactly that. No, I can't trust the media. I can't trust them to put this story into its true context. And so when you have somebody who worked at the highest levels of government, who can't even now trust their own government or media to tell their story, that is where we are in society right now. And I think it's a big lesson to be learned uh, for us here in the United States. Um, thank God we haven't gotten to that point yet. But all right, so... On to the topics of the day for the economy, for the market. Of course, the big news here has been the Federal Reserve meeting from yesterday. My dad did an amazing job covering that in his podcast yesterday. I highly encourage you to go watch it. You can watch it at vrainsider.com or find us on Rumble. Uh, 
I mean, that's going to be our primary platform going forward after, you know, they just banned Dan Boingo off of uh, YouTube yesterday. We want, we've had our videos banned as well. Our interview with Wayne Allen Root was banned on YouTube. We want nothing to do with that platform. I mean, we'll post videos there as long as they let us. We're not going to advertise there. We're not going to send people there and links. Uh, that will all be done through Rumble. So go go check it out there. Just a phenomenal recap of what we saw yesterday from Jay Powell because it was an interesting day. We had a rally going into the FOMC meeting after his first statement. The, the market continued higher, getting to the highs of the day. And then the stumbling and the stammering began to happen. And we know that Jay Powell has the worst track record of any Fed chair on talking the market down on FOMC days. There's not a close second. He is by far the worst at this. And I would rank yesterday. It might've been his worst performance to date. I mean, like I said, stumbling over words, didn't have the questions or the answers to questions he was being asked. And not only that, when he didn't have the answer, he would just keep blabbering about not having the answer. I mean, just this man does not instill confidence. For what you might want to say, and I would agree with you on most things you would probably say about Ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen, you can't say that they weren't firm in their conviction most of the time, if not all the time, at least in public. Uh, they acted like they thing, had things under control. And the, Jay Powell has just been the antithesis of that, like I said, nervous I mean, and, and rightfully so here. I mean, the Fed has backed themselves into so much of a corner here. And I mean, yes, <laughs> this was the one quote from the day that he had was, here it is, it's tough to guess what path will be appropriate. It's important to be humble and nimble. We're going to be led by the incoming data and the evolving outlook. If he would have stopped there, A plus, I mean, don't even take questions. That's what, what I don't have anything to answer for you right now. We're going to pay attention to the data and we're going to move forward. That's it. It almost seems intentional. The fact that he stayed on there for so long and as Kip covered yesterday, they ended up cutting him off. I mean, that doesn't happen for Fed. This isn't Joe Biden up there with, I won't get into that, but this isn't Joe Biden up there, you know, Hey, sorry, we're not going to take questions anymore. I mean, this is a smart man fully capable, and they just cut him off. No goodbye, nothing. I mean, so like I said, the, there's probably good reason for why he is so nervous, and that is that the Fed has backed themselves into a corner here. Uh, really, we've all seen the inflation numbers. We've seen the beginnings of a slowing economy. And without slowing the economy even further, the Fed has no other way other than jawboning to talk inflation lower. I mean, this isn't the Fed of Paul Volcker with somebody with a backbone who's willing to say, I may not be looked on favorably in the short term, but history will remember me kindly. This isn't that man. Uh, so what we're going to see going forward is so much of, of anybody's guess at this point, the Fed has to raise rates at least once to save face. Unless they just say the data came in, which the, the market probably wouldn't like that. But they have to figure something out. Because remember, this is a midterm year. And historically, the Federal Reserve has been on the Democratic side. So they can't have a poor performance in an election year. So look for them to pull every cat out of the bag that they can here. And 
we've been talking about this for so long now. I mean, I went back and looked at some of, of my notes today from previous podcasts from as far as a year ago about this. And this is the corner. We're still in that, right? They have created such a financially engineered system that it can't go anywhere else. It can't survive on anything but financial engineering. That's another point from last night that I thought was so apt to today and really apt to the Federal Reserve right here as well. That once you have a system that's built on lies, you have to lie to sustain it. And that's exactly what we're experiencing right now. Just another you know key take-home point there from Jordan Peterson. But as we continue to see it, the financial engineering will continue here. Uh, and, and it's for a few simple reasons, right? If rates were to double from here, double, right? The 30 years at about a 2%, the 10 years at a 1.8, then that would be the equivalent. Just our, our debt interest would be the equivalent of all of our spending on the military. Talk about much more than that. And you're talking about having, where, how are you going to fund these socialist programs that this administration is trying to get through. Uh, so the way we see it, the financial engineering continues. The market has been addicted to it now for some time. That's the environment that we're in. And unless they want to pull the rug from out from under this market, which, you know, can't say the possibility of that is zero. Nothing is ever a 0% chance. Uh, so unless that's what they want, the financial engineering uh, will continue. But overall, Jay Powell, you get an F for yesterday's performance. Just awful. So on that news though, all eyes turn to the, what the market is going to be telling us. And so far, we've been able to hold above the lows from Monday. That's good to see. We think that those lows will hold at least near. If we tick a little bit below them and get back, that won't be a major cause um, for concern for us here. But if we start to dip significantly below them, uh, it's, it, I won't get too into that here today. We'll take it as it comes. But on the plus side of that, we're seeing a market where our major indexes are oversold. Our biggest sectors and biggest names are at extreme oversold territory. That is typically when reversals take place, even if it is just a bounce. But we're also seeing extreme lows in the AAII sentiment survey, which comes back every week. Interestingly enough, bulls did increase slightly, but bears we're up a big 6% to 52.9% of all investors are now bearish. Compare that with 23% bullish and 23.9% neutral here. So it's really a big drop in neutral investors. Uh, so now, I mean, we're looking at over 76% of investors are either bearish or neutral on this market. When everyone is on, on one side of the market, we love to take the other side, and that's how we're continuing to look at it for us here. So let's take a look at our markets on the day. We did start off higher, finish lower, a little bit of, a, of what we saw yesterday uh, and most of last week as well. That's not the pattern that you want to see. You want to see that if the market opens lower, finishing strong is what you want to see. Or if it opens higher, finishing stronger as well. That's just not what we're seeing. So today, we're led lower by tech, also not what you want to see, by 1.4% to 13,352. Next up was the Russell 2000, down 1.32% 1 to 1,950. Next up, the S&P 500, down just over half a percent to 4,326. And lastly, the Dow, uh, now uh, down on the day, four-tenths of 1% to 34,160. 
Looking at our internals on the day, also not what we want to see here. Declining stocks, beating out advancing stocks across the board, just under three to one negative for the NYSE, just under four to one negative for the NASDAQ. This is where we really need to start seeing a turn is in the internals. Um, new 52 week highs, lows, also weak. We had 848 stocks hitting 52-week lows on the NASDAQ. That's better than Monday's number, much, much better. Uh, so not exactly terrible, still not good. Uh, and 429 stocks hitting 52-week lows on the NYSE as well. Lastly, volume just under 2 to 1 negative for the NYSE and 4 to 1 negative for the, uh, for the NASDAQ. Looking at our sectors on the day today, you might have thought it was a little bit better of a session because we did finish with six out of our 11 S&P 500 sectors higher on the day. And no real surprise here on a day like today, energy continues to lead the way. Energy is our only S&P 500 sector that is positive on the year right now. One of 11 sectors is positive on the year. This is a sector we've been very bullish on. We were followed there by utilities, consumer staples and materials. Our laggards on the day were consumer discretionary, real estate and industrials. And finally for today, our VRA commodity watch, gold now down 1.81% to 1,796 an ounce, getting below that $1,800 an ounce mark. Really couldn't get a rally anywhere today. Silver down a big 4.3% to $22.78 an ounce. Copper down 2.18% to $4.41 a pound. And oil really pretty flat on the day, uh, down just 0.08%, but still an incredibly high number at $87.28 a barrel. Lastly for today, uh, some, some late breaking news came in about Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is down on that news as well, as it appears the Biden administration is preparing executive action to regulate cryptocurrencies as a matter of national security. I mean, what else would it be, right? <laughs> and by matter of national security, they mean the elite's security, not our security. Uh, so we don't have all the details on that yet. We'll continue to report on it here, but Bitcoin nat on just over half a percent at 36,170, but it certainly feels like they are closing in the walls around cryptos here. It has felt that way for some time. And certainly that's been the biggest concern of Bitcoin lovers and crypto lovers is regulation. Uh, I mean, so many different things that we could talk about here, but the financial system as it exists now, the, the, ma the self-proclaimed masters of the universe can't have this. They can't have a financial system that they aren't in full control of. So you see their tentacles coming in. I mean, we had the IMF, the International Monetary Fund said this week or last week that El Salvador should not allow Bitcoin to be legal tender as they have done. And why? Because it's dangerous. And who is it dangerous for? It's dangerous for the IMF. It's dangerous for big banks. Uh, I mean, even with the volatility in cryptos, I mean, think about where you see the most usage of cryptocurrencies. It's in developing countries who typically have destable currencies anyway. So to get on board with something that is decentralized and you know people in bigger countries are buying it as well, I mean, that's a sigh of relief for them. It's helping bring people out of poverty, giving banking access to the unbanked. Isn't that what social justice warriors are all about? Giving access to the underprivileged? That's exactly what cryptocurrency does. And still, still the elite try to fight against this. Uh, so we'll stay tuned. We'll keep reporting on that 
here as well. But folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.